Warning, this podcast is an exploration of the physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, chemical, social, historical, and economic aspects of one person's life of addiction. Stories often contain graphic descriptions of drug use, violence, and self-harm. They also contain examples of tremendous change, optimism, and hope. This is Season Sobriety. In this episode of Seizing Sobriety, I speak with Scotty Schultz, an old friend and tremendously successful and thoughtful guy. Scotty's a professional drummer living and working in Nashville. As you might imagine, that is a lifestyle in which drug and alcohol use can become pretty typical, and it was for Scotty for a long time. But he's been sober for over six years now, and he's going to share with us about what his life was like before he made the decision to get sober and healthy, as well as the steps and practices he takes today to maintain that sobriety. He's an incredibly inspiring and humble guy, and it was a pleasure and a privilege to get to learn from him. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Scotty uh, is an old friend. We're going to talk about kind of kind of sobriety and maintaining sobriety. And so the kind of the quick background, Scotty, is, you know, obviously we've known each other since, you know, for 20 years, basically, or more. Um, yeah. you know, I, I started drinking, you know, with uh, with Hosas and, you know, all our friends when we were 14 years old, 13, 14 years old or something. And basically I got to about I was 33 and I just for some reason um, I started having these thoughts. I kind of, I think I kind of know why, but I was like, um, you know, I'm kind of a dork. I'm always into, you know, self-improvement and goal setting and all this stuff. And I was like, I've been basically getting hammered for like 20 years drinking and smoking weed. And there was a, you know, some experimentation with harder drugs and stuff, but never really anything too crazy just because when I did them, I was like, I want to feel like this all the time. So I'm just not even going to start with this. But um, yeah. I was like 33 and a couple thoughts occurred to me. It was like, I've been doing this almost 20 years. My dad was 33 when he got sober and I'm not super religious or really religious in 12 step work. You know, you, you start to talk about a higher power, but I'm not, um, you know, whatever. But I was like, well, Jesus was 33 when he died and he had a pretty influential life and you know, whatever. So yeah. I just said, you know what, I'm going to take a year off. And actually I thought about it for probably a good three to six months, you know, I mean, it wasn't like I just woke up one morning, you know, feeling like death. And I said, I'm never again. It wasn't that it was like, you know what, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a year off. But I knew I was going to be in Hosa's wedding coming up in a few, in a few months. And I was like, well, that'll obviously be a shit show. So uh, (laughs) that'll be the, the swan song, you know, and I just, and I didn't go completely bananas going up to then, but just, you know, I realized I was, you know, drinking, certainly just about every day. I mean, it was definitely a rarity to not be drinking 
And, uh, right. you know, it was like, whatever. So that was like five years ago and, uh, or almost five years, it'll be five years in October. And then, um, like I said, I mean, I, you know, smoked pot my whole life too. And that was, you know, I always liked it, but maybe the, the secondary choice, you know, behind right. alcohol or just sort of like, <laughs> if it was a situation where you couldn't be hammered in the middle of the day, well, Hey, let's get high and go to a movie. Let's <laughs> get high and go to a soccer game, you know, whatever. So I went like 18 months completely sober, and then um, for whatever reason, I I fell off. I just was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna give pot a try again. For you know all the all the bad times I had smoking pot, I was also like shit faced, wasted, and that was the problem. Yeah. It wasn't pot, and so um, so I I smoked pot, and again I like like you. I mean, I'm a thoughtful guy. I don't. These aren't like sporadic or or you know spur of the moment decisions i mean i thought about it for months probably and i went and got high and but just pretty quickly jumped right back in and so i went like 18 months of getting high all the time but my wife didn't know and um so then i like had a falling out with her and i was like well i better i better you know obviously i don't want to be like this so i'm just going to stop and so I stopped mm-hmm. for like eight months and just kind of cold turkey. And um, uh, then last summer, um, whatever kind of the, the stinking thinking crept back into my brain. And I was like, you know what, even though everything is way better in my life, <laughs> whatever, I'm, you know, an addict. And I uh, started, you know, I yeah. bought a bag and started getting high again. And before you know it, I'm jumping back in with both feet. And I just said, no, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to work. This isn't what I want. And so I uh, chucked it and said, I better go to AA. And so I went to AA and uh, was sober for about nine and a half months. And then just, um, you know, we have a three month old at home and things were great, but um, you know, the the house is, was kind of nutty having four kids. And uh, like a couple months ago, um, my kind of go-to meeting that I would go to, um, it, it, I ended up not being able to go on Monday nights. I would go to this meeting when my daughter went to dance. I'd drop her off at dance, go down the street to this meeting, and it was a really good meeting. I really liked it. Long story short, summer comes around, uh, dance schedule ends. I got little kids at home. It was hard to justify or say, like, hey, I need to go to a meeting a couple nights a week or whatever. And um, so yep. it, just, it just sort of fizzled out. And, of course, before, you know, when that happens, within like a month, the thinking came back. And so, uh, like – uh, mid June, I succumbed and said, you know, yeah, let's give it a whirl. I, I deserve it. I, I should reward myself. I'm a good guy. I'm doing well in my business. I'm a good dad. You know, why can't I get high once in a while? What's the big deal? So I bought some pot right. and basically blasted my brain for a few weeks and then went, this is not cool. And I, um, came home and the other day told my wife again, I said, look, I'm fallible. I fell off, but I need to be going to meetings and taking care of myself and trying to continue to pursue this podcast because when I'm, when I'm intent, uh, intentional about the podcast is when I feel really like excited to try to help people and have these conversations. So, yeah, man. So that was that. And, uh, you know, I guess, what does that mean? We got six days sober right now. <laughs> six days, no pot, awesome. almost five Hey years man, that's, <laughs> you, know. you know what though? I mean, I mean, at one point, I had six days sober. I know what that feels like, you know. Um, yeah, and where are you, you at know, now? Tell us, tell us about your si- background and. All right, so uh, I'm Scott, uh, and I'm sitting here in Nashville and and talking. And you know, uh, I I 
I like you, you know, I started with all our friends sure. uh, in high school. And it was, you know, parties on the weekends and like, let's hang out at this guy's house or go, you know, do this or do that. And it was like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't addict behavior back then. It was fun. It was games, you know, it was, it was, let's have a good time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then through college, you know, that kind of kept going and, um, and, and then, you know, I've been a, a drummer, like, my whole life. And so, like, I've, I've been playing pretty well, pretty much professionally since I was, like, 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, you know, alcohol just always being around. And the party didn't have to stop when I went to work. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's pretty convenient for somebody that enjoys partying and enjoys drinking to be able to go to their work and have people in the crowd buy him a drink or buy him a shot or have a bar tab that's free or, you know, be on tour with a major artist and, you know, in the rider there's, oh, look, I get my own bottle of vodka every single night for free. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's just handed to you on a silver platter, you know? And, um, and so, uh, I couldn't tell you when, when the moment, kind of came where I stepped across the line from it being fun and being a party to, you know, being well over the line and affecting every single part of my life, you know, whether it was my marriage or, or, uh, my work ethic or anything, you Mm -hmm. know, decision making, um, all sorts of different parts of my life were getting, uh, jumbled because of alcohol and, uh, and you know there was other things along the way, but primarily my my drug of choice is alcohol. Sure. And and uh, it it was re- I don't know. I mean I was I was going through uh you know about six and a half years ago, it got to the point where uh I didn't know what was going to happen when I went drinking. I I could tell my wife uh, that uh, I was going to only have a couple beers at a gig. And show up at that gig and have the those couple beers before I even started the gig, and not really even know why, right? You know, and then continue to drink, and then make a choice like driving home drunk, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and waking up the next morning and having to check in the driveway to s- see how I got home, mm-hmm. not remembering that, and blacking out all the time, and you know, uh, morning, you know, mornings of a million different ways to try to get rid of a hangover. I can try, you know, I had a whole list of stuff that I would try to get rid of it, you know? Sure. Um, only to find myself drunk again the next, that same night, you know? And, uh, and so it, it really did start controlling my life, you know? At that point, I hadn't lost, you know, uh, I hadn't lost my license. I hadn't had a DWI, which I'm amazed by. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't gone to jail for it. I hadn't I hadn't killed anybody for it, you know, but I was affecting every single relationship, both work and uh personal that I had because I was drinking. Mm-hmm. And um and so uh I woke up one morning after a ridiculous night of drinking um on my brother's couch. And uh, was that didn't know how I in Nashville. In in Nashville, yeah. Okay. Uh, my brother is down here as well, and uh, 
he uh and i'm like wow i how did i get here and he's like man he's like man uh you might want to call home and so i called my wife and she's like i don't want you back uh She's like, you were getting physical, you were throwing things, you you weren't, you know, you were out of control, and I don't want you back. And, I mean, there, there had been moments of this, uh, you know, bl- I mean, you black out, you don't know what you do. You don't, you don't know, it's not your true self, you right. know, anymore. It's a, it's a, somebody else is talking, and, uh, and somebody else is doing whatever it is you're doing you know it's not a conscious world at that point and so i i realized i was like wow i am really about to i'm about to lose my family i'm about to lose my i'm i'm about to lose everything this is this is getting ridiculous so um i and she wouldn't let me come home. She's serious. She wasn't threatening. She was serious. And so I started looking around for ways that, um, I could, like, what did I need to do? And so I started looking up, you know, rehab facilities. And then I remembered that, uh, uh, Music Cares, which is affiliated with the, uh, uh, recording Academy and the Grammys um, is a pro- has a program that helps musicians uh, with uh, with you know changing their life for the better when they hit these situations, whether it's rehab or some even even financial hardships and you know medical bills and all sorts of things that they do that that help musicians that are in a time of crisis. Hmm. And uh, I contacted them. And they they said, okay, uh, that you submit this paperwork, and you know, I did, and they said, all right, we'll pay for you to go to thirty days of rehab. Wow. And uh, and I was like, well, what rehab facility? Because I I know a lot of them are deal with AA, and I don't I don't want any part of AA. I don't know about these twelve steps. So <laughs> right at that point. I'm already trying to convince myself that there's oh I'm not I'm I have this much of an issue where my wife doesn't want me home. My brother is telling me I'm out of control and I'm waking up on a couch that I have no idea how I got there. Right. And uh, uh and I'm saying I'm oh I, I'm not going to you know AA, you know, oh, I'm stay away from that and they're like no, uh this is the rehab facility that uh that you're going to go to and um, and so it was Cumberland Heights here in Nashville, and within ten days, I found myself in uh, in rehab um, at a remarkable facility that is one of the top five uh, facilities in the country, and uh, and you know all my peers were basically paying for me to be there, wow. which is a pretty powerful thing in itself. Um, I did white knuckle it, uh, for like 10 days before I got in there. Um, I, uh, you know, I was basically, I had, at that point on that, 
you know, waking up at my brother's that day, I went outside on his front deck, my head in my hands, and it was the first time I honestly said, God, please help me, you know? And I grew up in a Lutheran family, and, like, I I think that I always have believed that there's a God, you know? And, uh, and But I always thought, you know, all the bad things that would happen to me in life was, like, him mad at me or him, you know, uh, not wanting to help me or, like, whatever it was. But, I, you know, that was the true, honest time in years that I had actually, like, prayed help me in an honest fashion. Not, you know, throwing up on a, on a toilet saying, I'll, God, if you, you know, I'll never do this again, you know. Right. I mean, it was, it, it was honest and it was, like, you know, tears running down my face and, like, I'm about to lose everything. And and then, you know, I mean, you think about it, 10 days later, all of a sudden I'm in an $800 a day uh, <laughs> rehab center that I'm, it's free, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I went through that and uh, 30 days, and that was, you know, that was the last time I drank. And, and, uh, I've had, it, it, it was a challenge, like, you know, especially in early sobriety, it, it, it is really, really a challenge. The first day I got out of there, I stepped right on a tour bus and was offered a drink in, fr- in like 10 minutes. Wow. You know, um, I remember, uh, you know, I remember being in my bunk on the tour bus and, uh, calling my temporary sponsor probably 40 times and mm. reading the book as much as I possibly could. And, like, I found online meetings that I could listen to uh, via my phone and I could chime in and, you know, and so I had to be really active and I just continued to do that. And, you know, those first 10 days of white knuckling became, you know, a red chip in 30 days and, you know, all of a sudden it was a three month chip and, and it was like, I just kind of kept going and, uh, and one day after another just led to where I'm at now, which is, you know, six and a half years later and I've gone through some hard times and I'm going through some hard times with the divorce now, but, uh, I don't have to drink about it, you know? I put everything on the line if I drink about it. So um, that's really where I'm at today. It's like I put my sobriety right at the front of my daily life of that's the one thing. If I can just get to the end of the day sober, I've accomplished a lot. Right. You know? And uh, so do you have that's a- my... Do That's you, my story in 10 minutes. Sure. Well, it's, I mean, it's amazing, and it's crazy how fast that went because I feel like I remember on Facebook when you made a post, like, I don't remember the first post you made on Facebook if it was like, hey, I'm a month sober or a day sober, I just got out of rehab, or maybe you waited a year. Right. I don't even remember, but in my mind, it seemed like this was not that long ago, and then you just, you know, when we talked, you were like, yeah, six and a half years, it was like, whoa, that went, Yeah. you know, and obviously, congratulations, that's amazing. Well, thank you, you know, it's uh, it's taken, but you know, I mean, it's it's all about, really, it all is about AA, it, it's all about knowing that Wherever I go on the road with whatever band I'm playing with, uh, 
there's a meeting I can go to. Mm-hmm. There's people that I have in my phone that I can call. I have a sponsor, you know. Mm-hmm. I I really try to do the do the things that that they tell you to do every single day. Yeah. Um and it becomes kind of how you live uh you know. Right. Uh I'm not I'm definitely not perfect and uh you know, there's a lot of things that uh I constantly have to uh take a step back and say you know i didn't do that right or i didn't uh this isn't where i want to how i want to handle this situation or that situation and and try to figure out how to go about making an amends or or you know uh just changing a situation for the better so So. would you say you know it sounds like you are pretty active in 12-step recovery and you go to meetings pretty regularly is that your primary practice for maintaining sobriety do you have any other things like you um, do every day that hey if i do this it it helps me you know keep my mind focused on the most important things or you know that kind of thing or is it just hey i go to a meeting as much as i can and that's all it is yeah i mean like like in in early in early sobriety i did you know i did the 90 and 90 mm. i I did it, and um, and I think that was really, really, really important for me. Um, it was, um, and it was important for me not to just like uh, puff up my chest and brag about it. You know what I mean? It's like because uh, I've seen guys that do that, and odds are they end up drunk. You know, because it's like, oh, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna do this 90 and 90 and get my paper signed every single day and and then I'm going to be healed and then next thing you know uh they're arrested for a DWI or or they're you don't see them in a meeting for the rest of your life you know and then you find out that they died or like whatever you know I mean I've known so many people either via rehab or within the rooms that uh, go back out and die mm-hmm. and it's an eye-opening experience um uh like it's it's eye-opening for sure and it's tragic and it's uh you know super talented people or just like young kids that are 23 24 25 or you know people that are my age that have families and you know yeah um it's you know, it's it's a tragic thing. Um, as far as what I do every day, uh, every day I I don't go to a meeting every day. Uh, I used to. You know, that ninety and ninety got me there, and especially for the first couple years, I was going to as many meetings as I possibly could. Sure. Um, there there have been times where the meetings have slowed down. Um, lately, I probably get to. Uh, I don't know, like probably two a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like I said earlier, I'm going through a divorce and, and I've needed to make sure that I'm connected in some way to, uh, to AA, no matter where I'm at. Uh, I just did two weeks of playing some gigs down in Key West and there was an amazing meeting house down there and I was going to meetings basically every, every other day. Sure. Uh, and and it was it was great, uh, you know. Well, because that's I, a party uh, spot too, right? I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> that's not a, a town known for, for sobriety, but, uh, it, it actually is because there's a lot of alcoholics that, you know, became alcoholics and also became sober in Key West. So, sure. um, it's, uh, you know, it was pretty powerful. I was sitting in a meeting in there and I saw a lady get like a 26 year chip Yeah. and, uh, Anytime I see something like that, you know, it's just like, wow. Like, you live in Key West, which is party central. You've lived here for 30 years, and you just picked up a 26-year chip. Right. Okay. Uh, I want that, sure. you know? Um, as far, but, but going back to the daily thing, it's – I just try to, you know, I try to – I get up. I I do a short prayer every single day. Um whether it's on my knees or whether it's sitting down with my cup of coffee or like whatever it is, I make sure that I pray in the morning right away. And that's just to my higher power to check in and just say, hey, help me out today. And, you know, thanks for getting me through yesterday and, and uh, let's do it again, you know. Sure. And, uh, um, and, it, and it's nothing fancy or you know, scripted or anything like that. It's just a knowing that I'm an alcoholic and I have to face that challenge every day. Yeah. And, uh, and then I try to read the book as much as I can. I got a couple apps on my phone that, you know, uh, I can read the book wherever I want. Right. It's, I got the whole big book right on my phone and 12 and 12 right on my phone and, you know, the daily meditation right on my phone. So there's no excuse for me to not, use that uh resource and then i do try to check in with uh you know my sponsor and check in with other people that are in in the program and uh and that that seems to that seems to be kind of where i'm at right now um i i i've attempted to be a sponsor on unsuccessfully a couple times with guys hmm. uh but uh at this point i don't you know i don't have any sponsees um it's a that's a challenging thing i'm not opposed to it whatsoever but it is a challenging thing uh especially when guys go back out it's uh uh you know yeah. and then they come back and they want you to keep working with them and then they go back out again and it's like oh my gosh like this is this is killing me. I got to separate separate myself from this person too now. You yeah. Know? So, what talk talk um, more about that? Why do you think is it <laughs> is it um, because you know I've gone to meetings and I had a I briefly had a sponsor and uh, it didn't work out. You know, and a, a part of that was probably um, my mindset at the time was maybe like. Um, it it seems like if like if you ask for a sponsor, they kind of presume that your situation is incredibly dire, you know. And I was looking at it, going, "Well, I haven't drank in like four plus years, you know. I mean, I'm not right. I'm not like every morning waking up like, oh my god, I have to have a drink. And in, in fact, I don't ever feel like I want to get wasted today. Or if I could only, you know, get right. get drunk, like then I I'd take care of my problems. But for me, it it did become pot you know i mean weed is right. just and i i uh 
I always kind of joke that maybe I just listen to too much Joe Rogan or whatever, but like, <laughs> I just, you know, like I'm, I sit there and I don't get, um, I get, I look at it and I go, God, weed is, it opens up all these like different ways of thinking. And it's like a, a key to unlock a different realm in my brain to kind of, th- I like to think about the way I think about things and all this, right. you know, this, that, and the other. And weed is medicine. And how are you going to sit here and tell me I'm a bad guy if I, you know, uh, puff a couple hits on a, a you know, my one at night to sit down and watch Netflix and you sit down and have a glass of red wine. And how are you going to tell me that I'm, a, you know, that's a, right. that I'm in the wrong when you wake up feeling like shit if you have too much alcohol and I wake up and go for a five mile run and I feel great. And, you know, so I, I have all right. this like, you know, bullshit that I tell myself and I, or, or all this justification. And then I just go, yeah, well, that's all true for other people, but you still have, right. you know, I read this book, I think it was called the alcoholics mind. And, yeah. um, it was, I think it was written in like the eighties by some doctor of some sort. And, um, it was really fascinating. You know, I mean, I was, I was reading it at, you know, this is while I'm telling you that I, I don't really have urges to drink anymore, but I'm reading all about this and it's, it's my brain to a T and it's like, well, I just, I just moved the addiction over to pot now. Cause it, it was simpler and I didn't yep. f- feel as physically disgusting, but it's the same thing. It's, it's why do I feel this need to manipulate my brain chemistry every single day? And then when I succumb to that, then it's just like, you know, I mean, again, I was, I was kind of going, this is bullshit. Who's going to tell me that I have a problem when I, I come home high every day and my wife doesn't even know. And I, I you know, right. I, I felt like a, the only thing I lied about in my whole life was to my wife about that. You know, I felt like a total scumbag and I, I still do for hurting her, but I, I used that as kind of a justification for how you're going to tell me this is a problem. Um, and I'm, I'm reading this book about, uh, you know, the way the alcoholic mind works. And it's like, well, this is, this is just the same thing. You, you know, it could be, it could be any variety of drugs. It could be food. It could be sex. Yeah. It could be whatever. It's just my brain, you know, and I've said it and I, I, again, when I relapsed a month ago or whatever it was, if, you know, and I, I'm going, I know all this stuff about my own brain. I'm a binary thinker. If, if something right. is allowed, it needs to be allowed hundred miles an hour, like, which is, I'm, I'm kind of like, I work out like yeah. a madman now. I, you know, run and I train jujitsu and I do like crossfit kind of stuff. And I just, that's what I'm into, but I have to, uh, supplant my negative habits with positive ones. Yeah, man. And, uh, I don't know. Well, hey, I mean, it's better to be addicted to going to the gym than it is to anything else, you know, any sort of chemical, you know, um, I don't know. Uh, but be careful with that, too. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like any anything overdone can start affecting other parts of your life negatively, you know. And and uh, no, I see that all, all the time. I see, you know, the what are the in AA, the marijuana maintenance program. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. uh, uh, where. Yeah. I mean, justification is the whole the whole issue. You know, it's like. In the in the big book, they talk about you know a million different rules that you set on yourself that ultimately you're gonna break, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I did that. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go from drinking uh, Seagram Seven and Seven Up to vodka Seven, and that's gonna that's gonna do it. I'm not gonna get sick because it's vodka, you know. Yeah. Or I'm only gonna I'm only gonna drink uh, beer. Uh, 
from now on. And then, nope, I'm not just drinking beer anymore, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, there's it's all these rules. Ultimately, it it's like I'm only going to drink on days that end in Y, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it gets to that point where it, it uh, uh, I don't know, it, it like I broke every rule I ever set out for myself and I thought that was just you know uh I'm trying to figure out how I can successfully drink that's what I was trying to do and I I I am very grateful that I learned about myself that I cannot successfully drink Mm -hmm. and that it's not the last drink that gets me drunk it's the first one right you know um uh it's uh I don't know. I I almost laugh about how many rules I put on myself sometimes. Sure. You know? I wanted to um, kind of go back for a second when we were talking yeah. about sponsor and sponsee roles. Oh yeah. What you know you you kind of said, um, it, you know it's never been like an intentional thing. You're you're open to being a sponsor, but maybe it just hasn't gone through. What what kind of talk a little bit more about that? Did you when you had a sponsor? Did he he or she have like a a specific here's how I do it and you need to abide or was it more just here, let's sit down and talk about things. Cause when I sat down with a, a sponsor, um, he was a good guy or he became a good guy. I mean, but I, I can remember even just sitting down with him. I was, I was impressed in these meetings that he would stand up and he seemed very, he seemed like kind of a leader in the meeting. He was right. fairly close to my age and I'm sure you see sometimes you go into AA meetings and it's like, these old guys that are just kind of like, don't drink, go to meetings, or, you know, pass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he seemed to be pretty on it. And so we sat down for the first evening and um, to talk. And, I mean, he was telling me about his rock bottom, what he called, uh, well, I shouldn't, you know, say, but, like, he, uh, I mean, he was almost a felon, you know. Like, <laughs> right. he, had, he had a pretty right. bad, pretty bad rock oh, man, bottom. I mean, and I'm kind of yeah. going, man, this guy's a scumbag. Like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. What am I going to learn from him? And I, I didn't necessarily think that, but I definitely thought, like, well, this guy's a lot worse off than me. And then he's kind of, like you said, he's going, all right, I need to have, uh, I need a phone call every day. We need to be meeting uh, twice a week. I need you to go to 90 meetings in 90 days and all this. And I was just kind of like, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted, I, I was pretty hopped up to like work the program and want, wanted to, and I still do want to, because obviously I've learned that I'm fallible and I, I, I can't do it on my own, but right. I, I was, uh, I was kind of like, Hey man, you know, I'm not this urgent. And he, he was kind of like, Hey, this is, this is the way I sponsor people. So if you're not prepared to do it, you know, good luck. And, and that's fair. You know, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was trying to find the softer, easier way maybe. And he was saying, Hey, this is how I help people. So I was kind of curious if, you know, if you, when you said that being a sponsor didn't necessarily work out for you yet, do you think it was because you got, you just had these wild cards or is it because, uh, you know, you didn't have a system in place or something? Well, you know, I mean, uh, there's been, you know, uh, when I was really hitting my home group uh, really hard, uh, probably at like two to three years sober, um, I was still pretty much getting there every day mm-hmm. and uh, uh, to my home group. And it was, and I was sharing a lot because I was seeing a lot of people in there that were collecting white chips. 
and surrender chips and you know and and then going back out mm. and so i started sharing a lot more because my sponsor was urging me to share a lot more what is uh, that and i still what does that mean for and the I audience still, what, I, collecting white chips what does that mean well uh a white chip uh, is a surrender chip. It's like raising the white flag okay. that you're finally admitting that you're an alcoholic and you're going to attempt to try this way of life, you know, um, uh, and attempt to try to be sober and that you're willing to roll down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, you know, that's the biggest thing. And, uh, and I and I had uh, two guys uh, at that point. Uh, I had two guys that that asked me to be sponsors, uh, different their sponsor at different times, and I said yes to both. Um, and ultimately, one guy, uh, you know, it's like we we sit down, we talk about steps one, two, and three, and then we get to step four and it's you know making this inventory mm-hmm. and uh he wouldn't do it hmm. he just refused to do it i i you know and and it says exactly how to do this in the book you know i'm mm-hmm. like you need to read this chapter you need to follow the instructions and let's set up a time where we can do the fifth set you know mm-hmm. and uh which is He's going to tell me his inventory and we're going to talk about it, you know, and uh, he didn't do that. And so I kept asking him, uh, when are we going to do that? And he's like, oh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And he kept putting it off and kept putting it off. And then the next time I saw him at a meeting, he informed me that uh, he decided that uh, he was going to find a different sponsor. Well, the whole thing about it is he has continuously done steps one, two, and three and never done the rest. Right. You know? He knows the book inside and out. He could quote you anything and talk the jargon with you. Uh, uh, and But he's not working the steps, you mm. know? And, uh, and so, I, you know, that's, that's, not a, that's not my choice. Uh, I attempted to help him. And... That was that, you know, and the other guy just disappeared. Hmm. Uh, I don't I still have no idea uh, what happened to him. Um, I tried to continually text him for, I don't know, two weeks after the last time I saw him. And uh, I never heard from him again. Never saw I've never seen him again. And that's that. So. uh, So, yeah, it hasn't worked out for me. But at the end of meetings, at the end of most AA meetings, I should say, uh, they, you know, they ask, "Is anybody in here uh, volunteer to be a sponsor?" Uh, and you know, for anybody else in here that's looking for one, and I always raise my hand. It just hasn't, sure. it just hasn't come up, you know. Yeah. Um, so, um, and that's fine. I figure it's all just, you know, in good time. Uh, it will happen, and. Um, and I and I think it's one of the most powerful things in AA is one alcoholic helping another. Right. You know, I mean my my sponsor is a you know retired biker dude that uh, you know uh, 
he's yeah, I mean, he white, long white ponytail and rides a Harley into the meetings, and you know, yeah, he's a he's a badass, and uh, you know, I don't talk to him all the time, but I check in with him. I let him know what's going on with my life, and um, and you know, he helped me finish the steps. I had a temporary sponsor getting out of rehab, and that guy took me through uh, the first six steps. And then he actually moved away from Nashville, and so uh, he was willing to keep working with me, but all of a sudden he lived three hours away. Mm -hmm. So I found a new sponsor and continued to work the steps, and I got through the 12 steps. And, you know, it's just about putting in the work. It doesn't take very long if you just really just sit down and be honest with yourself about everything that's being asked of you. And, um, and, you know, to get through those 12 steps is a major accomplishment, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's hard, it's hard to look inside yourself and find all the things that you've done wrong, all the things that, uh, you have to apologize for to other people and then to own up to it and then to make amends and then to continue to do that stuff. And, uh, I don't do it perfect, but, uh, I try every day to, to do the best I can with it. So, yeah, that's um, interesting. And you, you kind of alluded to it earlier and I, I didn't want to interrupt and pounce on it, but I, um, you know, like I said, I mean, I kind of fell off a little bit and I'm, I'm ready to jump back in with both feet and get focused. I mean, it, it it's crazy when you think, okay, you can have like nine and a half months completely sober and things are great. And then you just make the decision to piss it away. You know, it's like, well, clearly, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a pretty disciplined guy, but also if, you know, if something falls, falls to the wayside that allows me to, to, to convince myself that I should, you know, take my will back, um, yeah. something, something's wrong. And I, but what I was going to, I've thought about, and I thought about this earlier when I was first getting sober and first started going to meetings and reading the book every single day is it just struck me that it, it really is like a good scaffolding to live a life. You know, you don't even yeah. have to be an addict. Just look at those steps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a, uh, I mean, the steps, it's a fulfilling the life are, to live that way. Yep. Yep. Well, and you can use the steps for anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's not, you know, I mean like in Al-Anon, they use the steps, uh, you know, and those aren't addicts. Those are people that are have lived around addicts right. and alcoholics, and uh, and they go through the steps themselves. And um, I think it's I, I think the steps are remarkable because one, they are put together by a bunch of drunks. Right. Uh, two, they've never changed. Right. And and you know, and three, look at all the people that have got got sober and stayed sober because of those 12 steps you right. know when when i've you know like i said earlier it's like i was looking for a rehab facility that didn't offer the 12 steps you know and when i when i share that you know like if i'm doing a speaker meeting or sh and sharing my story or whatever i say that and every Everybody in the room is just laughing sure. about it, you know. Why do you think because that was? Because a lot of people, you hear about a lot of people in meetings that are averse to AA because they're atheist or they don't believe in God or they don't want anything to do with religion, even though, right. I mean, and I, I've seen some people that kind of get more 
Bible thumpery about it than other people that just look at it more like what what I've always appreciated is that the higher power can simply be the group when you're going regularly it really alleviates or it did for me it alleviates the the desire to drink every day and or to just you know use drugs every day and it does you don't have to suddenly you know start reading the bible or anything like that but as a guy you like you who said you grew up in a christian family and you always believed in god but you were pretty averse to the 12 steps why do you think that was i don't know i i I think it was a stigma you know okay uh i think i think a lot of people have that you know like like you think of an alcoholic in 12 steps as the guy that's living under the bridge or begging you for change on the side of the highway or whatever it is you know it's uh, but you know, it's remarkable. It's like, I've, I've sat in meetings with Grammy award winners and neurosurgeons and, you know, I mean, it is crazy the amount of different, uh, levels of people that you can see all sitting in one room together. Right. Uh, all because of the same thing. It's funny. You know? I've, I've said almost verbatim the exact same thing that you said, maybe, uh, save the part about Grammy Award winners, because if they were in my meeting, I, I didn't know it. But yeah, I mean, I've gone to Saturday Night Live is a meeting down at the Basilica in Minneapolis. Right. And it yeah, you, 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 you're in there and it's like, like you said, there's a hedge fund manager and a CEO guy. And then on the other side of you, there's a guy that looks like he's a troll or something, you know, in the back of the yeah. room, he looks like he lives under a bridge. And they're all there saying, yeah, my brain, all of our brains work the same way. It's pretty, yeah. when you look at it that way, it really does kind of strip away all the, for me, it stripped away the stigma, but it also, it, it like strips away the bullshit of, you know, I'm special. I, I'm stronger than these people. I can figure it out. You know, they're weak. Right. They don't have anything right. going on in their life. They need a program. You know, it's like, no, this is, if you abide by this kind of thing, uh, or I shouldn't even say abide, if you work these steps and you and you willingly go about them uh it can really change your life and i don't know it's oh pretty, yeah it's i mean remarkable. and it is really it, it truly is you know and you know i i think about kind of how i accepted the steps and uh you know when i first got to rehab i was in like the medical detox center for like a day because like i said i had done like 10 days completely sober before i even got in there right and uh, so I wasn't having the shakes. I wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I wasn't going through all that stuff. I had already kind of gone through that stuff by myself. Right. Uh, and uh, and and so then, you know, they let me out of uh, the detox unit and they send me to the like kind of they had two cabins basically uh, for the guys that were that were there and so i'm living with all these you know alcoholics and addicts and whatever but they gave me a book and they said you know that first night i went to my first aa meeting the first night out of detox and they all the guy said to me going into the meeting was he's like open your ears and shut your mouth and he's like identify with what people say not you know, don't don't worry about if they say something that you didn't do. I 
just look for the things that you have in common with those people. Hmm. Because he knew that I like I was doubting the fact that I was an alcoholic, mm. even though most people that end up going to rehab, uh, normal people don't do that. Most people that go to rehab are alcoholics. Right. You know, uh, that's not a normal part of life for everyone. Um, and uh, you know, so I got in there and I started identifying, and within three days. I, I had, like, read the first 164 pages of the book, like, twice, and I had, like, all of a sudden, I was, like, and I was still just listening. I wasn't even talking in meetings. I was just listening, and then uh, they had, uh, there was a couple speaker meetings, and one of them happened to be uh, a musician that came in, and he shared his story and how he got sober, and I was, like, this is me, you know, mm-hmm. I started looking like maybe I am, uh, maybe this is really me. Right. And as I read the book like five times in the first six days I was there, uh, I started like actually, it was soaking in. It was like, uh, it was like, oh yeah, th- this part and you know, the, <laughs> The chapter to the agnostics or whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm that guy. And this part in in this chapter, I'm that guy. And you know, it wasn't everything, but it was the identifying. I have this in common with this guy, and this in common with this right. guy. And you know, I'm going through those stages. You know, and uh, uh, they describe the alcoholic a bunch of different ways in that book. And it was like, man, like this is too real. Yeah. Like. I am this person, you know. It has affected my life in this way and uh so that I think that's the biggest part, you know. I think going into meetings and hearing what makes you all the same, uh what you can identify with and then talking to those people and sa- after a meeting and saying, you know, it really struck me when you shared that that I've gone through that too, you mm-hmm. know, and and thank you for sharing because because you shared that, I know I'm not alone in in addressing that part of my life. Right. You know. Um, so. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, but it's, that's also a good way to get sponsors too. Find people that you identify with and then ask them. Hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it is so. pretty remarkable. I've never I, I've read the book cover to cover, but I've never read it. Uh, uh, what would the term be? I've never read it uh, like involuntarily or without conceding that hey there's probably something in here I can learn but like the first time you read it it's it's like epiphany after epiphany where it's like oh, yeah. did they write this fucking book for me like how did yeah. you know and uh yeah I mean you're every <laughs> well, they like did, you said man. It, yeah they did <laughs> in every chapter there's something that's like wow this this is like they're reading my mind and it, it is almost crazy when you you know it's like you know you're in trouble and that's why you're reading this book and and you're reading these chapters and you're like I was just thinking this like an hour ago and it happens yeah. to come up in this book now. Like God must be right. looking out for me or this might must be part of some plan or, you know, whatever you, you know, you can, yeah. you can definitely take it and run with it. But if you just bring it back to the here and now, it's like, well, maybe there's uh, maybe it's just that, like you said, it was written by a lot of people that really, you know, really knew what our brains are like and this is how we got to get healthy. Well, yeah, and I mean, and then, you know, I, I like you, you know, uh, 
to learn scientifically what kind of the book you were talking about, you know, one of the things I'll never forget about rehab is they had this class like twice a week that was with a medical doctor mm -hmm. and he's explaining like all these things like, like, Oh, if you're having blackouts, this is what's happening, you know? And like, that's not like, that's a very big sign that you're an alcoholic like right. multiple blackouts in a week yeah you you've done some damage to your brain right and uh uh and i was like man okay and i remember asking him i was like well what about like you know one day you could drink 20 beers and be completely fine not feel it at all and then the very next day uh you have like two beers and you're drunk and he's like yeah that's not a good thing. That's <laughs> that's 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 your body like uh like not being able to process alcohol and like uh being very very up and down like there's no stability to your your chemical balance at all at that point. You've pretty much messed your body up. I was like, "Huh. Okay. Well, yeah." Thank you. Yeah. Let me go think about this for a day. Did you did you find yourself doing any anything, you know, any harm to your body physically? Were you in any kind of rough shape or was it did you Man, kind of get out of the game before that happened? You know, I mean I I, I definitely I mean <laughs> you drink for 20 years and and uh and really put your body through as much as, you know, we did. It's like, you know, um my liver definitely um, was struggling when I first got in there, hmm. um, but my liver is fine, right. you know? Uh, I didn't do a lot of the damage physically to myself that a lot of other people did, you know? And uh, I'm just grateful, you know? Yeah. It was, For me, it was a yet situation. I hadn't lost my family yet. Right. I hadn't got arrested yet. I hadn't, you know... Because all these other people did exactly the same kind of things I did, and they had all those marks on their record. Yeah. And they had they had gone to the hospital because, you know, uh, they were getting cirrhosis, or you know, all of a sudden they had cancer of the liver, or yeah. you know, I mean, it's crazy the amount of things that alcohol can do to put you in a hospital bed, oh, and. Yeah. Uh, um, and I never experienced that, you know. It's like I was very fortunate about yeah. that. And uh, it's interesting you so. say that because I wonder. Um, my, uh, you know, I I told you I, when I stopped when I was thirty three, I stopped because or part of my thinking was, well, my dad was thirty three when he got sober, and he um, so that was when I was like a, a like a, basically a baby. I was three years old and he didn't drink again until I was 20. So when I was growing up, uh, there was no, I mean, I, I kind of heard my right. mom talk about, yeah, your dad was an alcoholic or is an alcoholic, but it wasn't like I right. ever saw him drunk. I mean, he started a business. He was, he had all kinds of cool hobbies. He was this like socially or civically engaged in, you know, different associations and whatever. And it was like, and then when I was, uh, I remember I was at college and I got a call from my mom and she's like, yeah, your dad's in, um, he's in jail. He got a DUI. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay. I guess he yeah. uh, drinks again, you know, so whatever. And then he, he went hard for the next 12 years or something. And he, 
um, in back in like 2012 or yeah, it must've been before. Yeah. He, it must've been, yeah, it was before I got sober, but he, we did check him into Hazelden. Like he was, okay. he was so, I mean, he had yellow eyes, you know, he was waking up in the middle of yeah. the night to slam vodka and go back to sleep. I mean, he, you, you drink and you just throw it all up. I mean, there was no fun. It wasn't partying, you know, like it was right. It was bad. Yeah, and so, man, so when I was kicking around the idea, like, Hey, am I this way? I'm like, well, I don't do what my dad does. Like I, I drink right. every day, but I'm not getting, and that was, you know, they talk about like in the, or like people, people talk about it. I don't, I think it might talk about it in the book somewhere, like high bottom drunks and stuff, you know, like, I always kind of thought, yeah. like, am I this poser? Like, do I am I just here because I like want to be part of a club, or I wanted? I was thinking of like Fight Club, <laughs> that chick that's like, you know, she's a nut. And she just goes to all the support meetings because that's like how yeah. she feels loved and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was like, is this me? Because like you, I was like, I, I didn't get a, I didn't get any DUIs or anything. I wasn't like, but I, had, you know, everybody has plenty of stories of, oh, I go to a wedding and, well, you really tied one on at that wedding. You know, it's like, yeah, when you have 12 drinks and then smoke weed in the parking lot and puke all over and your wife is like, what the hell happened? You know, like, yeah. I'm going, yeah. oh, you didn't have 12 drinks too? It's like, no, I had, right. I had my two beers and I'm now I have to right. drive you home with plastic wrap in our car you know like and uh but you know those were just kind of the situations where you're like well yeah that happens once in a while but you know everybody ties one on at a wedding but really really for me it was more like i drink seven days a week and i started noticing that well rather than drinking three summits or something i'm starting to buy cases of coors light or whatever so i can have seven or eight beers and it's you know not as you know whatever and it's just like but for a long time, I thought, like, God, am I a faker? Or am I a poser? Because I'm not like my dad. And then it was like, well, we're maybe a little yeah. bit different. But, the, you know, I think, that, like I said, reading that book about how the brain works, again, as a guy that's, you know, I, I like to read. I, I pride myself on being a pretty thoughtful guy. And I, I yeah. for me, it was more of like an academic approach to it. And then it's like, yeah, you can sit here and kid yourself that, okay, well, you quit drinking and you don't have any desire to do that. But you just moved the maintenance you know the over to weed right you know your brain yeah. still works the same way and you're still trying to deal with all your problems the same way so right i mean it, well and it and it's still affecting your life you know oh, and, big time. And, and that's the thing i mean there are some guys that i know that you know just stop drinking on their own yeah just randomly or like hey i'm sick of drinking and they still smoke weed or whatever occasionally but I'm amazed at those people. Yeah. I'm like, man, I tried to stop so many times by myself. Yeah. You know, I, I can even remember like, I, I seriously got through like 30 days one time. I don't know, maybe like two years before I got sober. And, and I was so proud of myself because obviously it was already a problem back then. Yeah. You know, it was already affecting my life. So I was like, okay, well to prove to you, you know, to prove to my wife or whatever uh, that I am not an alcoholic, I'm going to go 30 days. And yeah. I just, like, fought super hard to just do it. Yeah. And I was still smoking weed, and I was still doing whatever. But it was like, I got done with 30 days, and what did I do? Yeah, you got hammered. Hammered. Yeah. And that's, like, that's ridiculous a- drunk, yep. you know? And, 
like, oh, we're going to have a big party to celebrate that <laughs> I didn't drink for 30 days. Yeah. Like, what is so, that? <laughs> sober October. That's what Rogan and yeah. his friends did last year. And I, again, yeah. I, I should probably not listen anymore because I'm just, it's like enticing. I'm going, why can't I be a, you know, why can't I be a recreational user? I mean, I've thought of that too. I, I And that's probably why I uh, relapsed a month ago or something too. I mean, it was like, it sounds so stupid, but I'm like, I was getting, we went to the Boundary Waters a couple of weeks ago with the big kids and grandpa yeah. and stuff. And then I'm going to go again at the end of the summer with some family friends. And um, I was kind of like, you know, why why can't I go to like paradise, like some of the most beautiful scenery in the world? Like, what is the harm of sitting in a canoe right. on a, a lake like Lake Minnetonka and I'm the only guy on it? You know, it's like you're right. in paradise and I go, what's the right. harm of, you know, puffing a little weed out in nature and enjoying myself? And it's like nothing. There isn't any harm in it for other people. Right. But for you, the reality right. is you can't do that. And I, I, everybody asks me all the time when I kind of talk about it. They're like, really? You can't just, you know, you can't just, uh, you know, puff weed and then go home and not really think about it or, you know, because right. I, li- I live in suburbia like there i know for a fact i'm not going to name any names but i know there's plenty of parents and people that would love to Uh, smoke pot and chill out and you know and they maybe don't advertise it at school but they're game and uh right i'm going why can't i just go you know hey the kids are out on the in the backyard uh, you know come over to the garage with me and we'll puff a one and it's like what could be wrong with that nothing really everybody else is drinking alcohol that's gasoline that they're pouring down their neck why can't i go you know, have a puff. Right. And it's like, well, because the answer is when you just go, uh, you know, want to have a, a couple of puffs of weed in the boundary waters and then go home and maybe other people would do that and not think about it for a year. I'm on the phone texting, you know, the weed guy going, hey, I'll see you in six hours when I get back down to St. Paul and I'm going to pick up right. a sack. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So. Well, I mean, I, you know, the thing that helps me, especially early on, was, uh, you know, and they say it in the meetings all the time, was like, um, you know, play the tape all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, yeah, because, I mean, it was like I would get done mowing the lawn. And I'm like, man, like one beer would mm-hmm. be like, man, it's 95 degrees in Tennessee. I just got done ma- mowing the lawn. And it's like, wow, how quick of a thought process to like say a beer would be really good even to the point where one time I didn't even notice I was doing it I opened the refrigerator and was like who I had to catch my breath because I was like I was looking to see if I had a beer yeah you know yeah. it's like and not even thinking about it but but to be able to realize that and say you know what that beer led me to 30 days in rehab you mm-hmm. know and not knowing if my marriage would work out or what, you know, and, um, you know, at that time, you know, it did work out. It, you know, she, she, you know, my wife was super supportive through that whole thing, even though, you know, I hurt her more than I hurt anybody Mm -hmm. at that time. And, uh, you know, I had to, I had to make a ton of amends to her and uh you know unfortunately uh it ended up not working out but she stayed by me through the toughest part of my life mm-hmm. you know and uh 
and I always have to be grateful for that, you know. Um, for sure. And she supported me in going to meetings and knew that it was something that I had to do, even though it, she was skeptical of the whole thing, too, hmm. you know. She was skeptical of me more than anything else, probably. Oh, he went to rehab so that he's not going to get kicked out of the house, and yeah. now he's back, and let's see what happens. Got the you know? cool rock star story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it did work. And, it you know, all the way up until six, you know, six years of sobriety it worked. So, I mean, that says a lot about uh, – being sober and it also says a lot about you know about her for being so supportive about it you know that long and uh and and even going through what i'm going through now with a divorce that is the furthest thing from my mind i've had people ask me well do you think you're gonna drink like i think it would be okay if you wanted to drink this has got to be really hard for you and i'm like dude no those people have no (laughs) idea it just i'm like are you kidding me? Like, wh- what do I do to the, like, my kids right now will never, like, Carter was, you know, a year old when I got sober. Mm-hmm. And a year and a half. He will never, ever remember me drunk. Right. If I stay sober. Right. Ever. And that is a huge, you know, motivation you know, for me, it's like, I do not want my kids to experience what I'm like drunk. Cause right. I couldn't honestly tell you what I'm like drunk. I'm, I don't really remember a whole lot. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, to play that whole tape through is, is a huge part of it for me. And, uh, um, it's, it's vital, you know, um, I'm, I, cause there's still times when, it will pop up or I'll have a drinking dream or something, mm-hmm. which is really odd. But, uh, you know, to dream about getting drunk, I don't think normal people necessarily have those dr- dreams either. <laughs> <Right>. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. What but, do you, you know, life is good. Yeah. What do you think was the hardest thing for you about getting sober? Uh... Was there anything that the, like, stood out? The as... nature, the nature of the business. Sure. That you know, being a musician, being around it all the time, whether it's playing a bar downtown Nashville or hopping on a tour bus and going and playing a festival or you know whatever, uh, alcohol is almost supplied to you free of charge. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and that was. That was hard, you know. Even even playing for a little while was hard for me. Hmm. Um, I was okay walking into those places because I had a reason to be there. I was that was my job, right. you know. And I guess the good thing about being a drummer is I have this built-in barrier between me and the crowd. Hmm. You know, I'm not on the front of the stage, and uh, I'm sitting behind a a drum set. So, I mean, I, I had a little bit of a barrier, but I mean, uh, yeah, it, I, I think, you know, the nature of my business, you know, was, was hard, but playing, uh, I had to get used to playing sober, hmm. you know? And, uh, that was, that was a unique thing to kind of go through is, you know, 
the first time I went and played a show, I'm thinking to myself, man, when was the last time I started, I played the first note of a show without having a drink? Probably, it had been years, sure. you know? I mean, and what, I don't was know. It, was it different? I mean, did you feel like you had less, obviously, it's probably not rhythm, because you, I mean, I remember seeing you play drums when I was 14 years old, and you were probably 16, and just banging away, and me being like, damn, <laughs> you know, dude, that, that's awesome. But what, you know, did you, was it just like courage or like, what was uh, different about it? Just, just different. Well, it's like a, a comf- being comfortable, uh, behind the kit, you yeah. know, it was really weird. It, it, it took a while to get used to, to where it's like, well, and, and really what it is, it's, it's a habit, right? So like, all right, I'm going to go down and play a gig down on Broadway in Nashville. I'm going to get there. I'm going to go order a pale ale and a shot of Jägermeister, and that's me getting ready for my gig, Yep. you know? Yep. And and then I'm going to bring that same order up to the stage with me, Yeah. you know? Yep. And, uh, and, and th- yeah, so, I, like, it was a different thing to, like, mentally to kind of have to like okay i'm not gonna do this you know uh and not and basically i would i was bringing like you know vitamin waters and like uh gatorades and like all sorts of different stuff with me in my backpack so i didn't even have to go to the bar right like for for the first i don't know like three months that i was playing gigs again i wasn't even going up to the bar right even though i had friends that were bartenders and stuff i'd like sit at a table even if it was five feet away from the bar i wouldn't go to the bar right and uh uh and yeah it was just playing wise it it just took a while for me to kind of get over the fact that i was still a good drummer and i was still comfortable on stage without having that warm-up drink or whatever you want to call it yeah the (laughs) courage the liquid courage yeah for sure yeah yeah you know um but yeah i don't know it's uh it was also remarkable to kind of realize with walking into a bar every night and playing and going to aa meetings that what they were telling me was true that not everybody in those bars is drinking Hmm. not not everybody in those bars is getting drunk, you know. There are people that go to a bar and watch live music in Nashville that will order a Coke. Hmm. I know that sounds surprising, but it's <laughs> true, you know. There are people that will order a beer and not finish it, Yeah, you know. I'm like, damn, how do you do that? Yeah, that always <laughs> like, blew me away. In fact, my... My dad came over the other day, and he's he's doing really well. He's sober and you know doing really well. And we um, we were sitting out on the deck, and he was holding the new baby, and we ended up talking for like four hours, just sitting out on my deck and slamming coffee and you know like yeah man slamming coffee and water and talking about it and stuff. But yeah, he would talk about how it like when he got sober, you know, when he was younger and. Uh, would like go to a wedding and you get to the end of the, like he didn't realize that not everybody at the wedding was blackout drunk like him, you know, like he, right. he, he, he right. he'd look around and you know, you're at the end of a night at a, like a, you know, a round table with like eight people and it's him and 
two, three other guys just sitting there drinking and everyone else has gone home. And he's, he's like, Oh, I thought everybody did that. <laughs> you know? and right. It's like, right. Yeah, I mean, I was right. the same way. And I mean, I don't know how many times it would be like, I'd be going out with, you know, my wife would say, Oh, we're going to hang out with so-and-so for my work. And they're this couple, or we're going to go to, you know, just whatever. And it would be like, a, I would look at it like a race to like three drinks. I'd, I'd plow through three right. drinks. And then it was like, you stop and look left and look right and see what other people are doing. Like, are these guys right. cranking it up or, oh no, they're still having their second drink and it looks like that's all they're going to have. All right, honey, right. Sh- should we right. get moving here? It's like, let's head home so I can have another six or eight beers. And Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Know. It's like, well, and it's a, it's a realization that, you know, not everybody is doing it, you know? And, uh, it was interesting cause I, I even found, that there were other musicians, su- very surprising to me, that were in AA, hmm. you know, hmm. uh, that were downtown, that were playing those bar gigs four hours at a crack and not drinking. And so I I asked some of them for advice, you know, what do you do? What do you do? And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. Alcoholics are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, but, you know, now... I don't even think anything of it. The way I play drums is sober. Sure. The way I, you know, the way I drive a car is sober. You know, everything I do, it like I have figured out how to live my life and not have that be a part of it. Right. You know, and uh, you know, some friends have gone by the wayside because I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Or uh, quit calling me because I don't buy rounds of shots anymore. Or like whatever it is, but you know those aren't the real friends, and that's not real life. Yeah. You know, um, it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I do much better with uh, with my sober life now than I did, you know, seven years ago. So that's awesome, man. And that that seems like a pretty reasonable spot to kind of put a bow on it. Is there anything else that you want to say or share about your story or anything like that? You know, I think the 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 one thing when I when I uh, do a speaker meeting and you know talk to people about my story is is uh, they're always amazed at the industry that I'm in that I'm able to just maintain sobriety and they're always amazed at uh, how long I've been sober or like whatever but I'm always amazed at the people that are just taking that first that first step you know like i i think it's like six days man for you that keeps me sober today Hmm. it does because it's like i know what that feels like i know like you're hanging on and it's like okay i'm gonna make it i'm gonna make it today i'm gonna make it today and that reminds me that i need it's a daily thing it's not about six and a half years it's about just i mean it sounds cliche but it is so true it's make it to that pillow uh tonight yeah. Or tell yourself, you know what? I'm putting it off till tomorrow. Yeah. And then when tomorrow comes, put it off till tomorrow again. Yeah. You know? I heard a guy say um, that once. He's like, I might get wasted tomorrow, but I'm not yeah. today. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's yeah, because I mean, we, well, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. Right. You know? And the past is the past. So, you know, uh, if you, I mean, it's a, it's, it really is miraculous, you know, um, to see people 
And even, like I said, man, six days, that's a, that's a long time. There's some people that can't do that, you know, mm. or, 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 or don't even think about it, you know? And, uh, so, um, I don't know. I think, uh, honestly, the, the, the biggest part of advice is it's just for today. You know, it really is just for today. Mm. So, um, thank you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, we'll have to hang out in the Twin Cities sometime and I'll buy you one of those coffees that you and your dad were drinking. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll go hard on the, uh, on the coffee black for sure. That's right. All right, brother. Thank you so much for your time and I will, uh, I will get back to you with this, okay? Sounds good, man. I'll talk to you soon, Scotty. See you then. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Seizing Sobriety. If you found the conversation valuable or know anyone that might benefit from the ideas we discussed, Please share on your favorite social media and be sure to subscribe and review us on iTunes. It helps tremendously and I sincerely appreciate your support. Take care.